0: Today's episode is brought to you by Slater's 50-50 and Tuity Fitness.
1: Everything sequel contains explicit language. And why the fudge not, you melon farmer?
0: Yippee ki yay, motherfuckers! We're back. This is the Everything sequel episode—or not episode. This is the Everything sequel podcast. Excuse me. We're here talking about the Die Hard edition. My name is Michael Chance of the How Dare You Awards. With me, as always, Mr. Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say hello, Tom. I got a fucking reindeer flying in from a fucking padding zoo. <laughs> Dennis Franz at his fucking best. That's what I say. He's a national treasure in this movie.
1: This podcast is going to be you stopping me talking about Dennis (laughs) Franz.
0: Today we're talking about Die Hard 2, Die Harder, 1990. (laughs) I totally forgot that was the subtitle. You know what's funny? It's like... That was in the title of the movie when it came out, and you can't find it anymore. It's like they kind of got rid of it, you know?
1: Yeah. But it
0: was Die Hard 2, Die Harder.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, I you know, it's not the last time that, that, that there'll be titling problems with this franchise. No, yeah.
0: But we'll save that for another episode. Sure. Today is all about Die Hard 2. The 1990 sequel to 1988's Die Hard. This movie is directed by Rennie Harlan. It was the seventh highest-grossing movie of 1990. Budget of 70 million. Made about 117 million in the USA, 240 worldwide. Respectable, Tom. Respectable.
1: It's very respectable. Probably the it probably did very well in Britain uh, with that Windsor Airlines segment yeah
0: i like that they couldn't give um, any real airplane names because airlines would not stand for that <laughs> but they did
1: have a dig of british rail which was the national rail company at the right. time which i thought was ra- was rather amusing <laughs> that uh they, would, they were just like yeah but everyone knows british rails is joke so no one's going to object to that nice
0: <laughs> that's why you're here you always have the scoop from across the pond
1: it was, yeah, it was startlingly accurate. I usually dread those those kind of uh, British moments because they just don't do their research. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I don't know if Cole Meany was like whispering in Rennie Harlan's ear about British Yeah, how rebel, nice but, is it uh, to see uh, it's Cole actually, Meany? Ac- it's, it's, it's a satirical accuracy. Mm-hmm.
0: Man, he doesn't fare well in this movie either.
1: Uh, Chief O'Brien does not,
0: uh, does not come out well. All right. Anymore. So we are following the continuing adventures of John McClane. He is on vacation visiting the in-laws. He is in Washington, D.C. So despite being in a different city and despite being not stuck in a building, we pretty much have uh, as close to a carbon copy of the first movie as we can get. I mean, the band is all back. And yet, Mm. Tom, this is your favorite of the sequels. You ranked them. Two, four, three, five. Yeah, I went in another direction. I said four, three, two, five, but you're not wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. I think for both of us, our rankings were razor thin. Yeah, this movie is fucking great. I love this movie. <laughs> you know, it's it's uh,
1: what I what I really enjoy about this. It, it owns the fact it's a sequel completely. But it has a really strong original storyline. Yeah. Uh, We get get the return of the characters we want to come back, but we also get a whole host of new characters who are all played to perfection. Yeah. I mean, some of my favorite characters in all of the franchise are in this movie.
0: Oh, I'm excited then. I want to know. Is it Colonel Stewart (laughs) that you love, or are you a big fan of Major Grant? I love John Amos. <laughs> I, he's you, you, I I I think I had a note
1: like what I was uh, that I wrote like a 3 quarters into the movie I'm like there are way too many side characters in this movie <laughs> but I don't care because they are all played to Cuz they're all great. The Marvin the janitor. Right. I mean Carmine Lorenzo, his brother. Guys, and it, it it got to the point where I about a quarter of the way through the film I was like okay so everyone who was in the original Die Hard is kind of off in their own little pocket of the film right. that has nothing to do with the main action. Um, I was like, was this movie something else that they adapted into a Die Hard? Well, that's... And when, I, when it got to the credits, I was like, yes, yeah, that is exactly. exactly what happened.
0: And that's <laughs> the interesting thing about this, these series as a whole. Like the original movie was based on a book. This movie yeah. is based on a book. The third movie is based on just a screenplay somebody wrote that was called Simon Says. Yeah. Uh, same with uh, the fourth installment, Die Hard 4.0, yeah. as the you Brits like to call it. Um, it it's literally yeah. not until you get to Die Hard 5 that somebody actually wrote a movie specifically for Die Hard from the beginning with Die well, Hard in mind. And yet, that's where you they know, fail. That, that
1: <laughs> says something about why this is so successful. Yeah. I think this is—you uh, you get the best of both worlds. You—you—you know—you get—you uh, get a standalone story that is really that really works in its own right, but you also get all the pleasures of of going back to familiar characters and situations, mm-hmm. um, which you know. And wh- whenever they, um, whenever they they try to imitate the original movie, they, they talk about it. They, they own own it. it. Yeah. It's not always enough to do that, but at least they're doing, but they're
0: trying. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, if, if it's kind of unapologetic in that way, like, yeah, if, if
1: the, the other thing is, I I think if it was ever to write a book about sequels, I think I would call it inversions and coincidences (laughs) because every good sequel is based on a, like a, an inversion and then a bunch of coincidences and this one here is like we've still got the bi-coastal comedy of the original that that um john mcclain is the fish out of water cop uh but this time he's the because he's been working in la he is now the um the fish out of water la cop in new york well dc dc yes washington but the east coast i get what you're saying um Dallas. Yes, you're right. But he but he is a yeah, east coast. The east coast west coast um uh clashes have uh have flipped and it's really nice because you know, as a British expat um that is exactly at the beginning of the movie is exactly how it will go down. I mean, you know, he's been in he's been in LA for like what a couple of Forget years. That. Yeah. And they're already treating him like he is a stone cold foreigner. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, I just so think, you, can relate. you know, it, it starts off on like, that is great. You've just, you've literally just flipped the script, uh, but you keep the original tension from the first movie, but you're, you're just, you're just doing it in an inverted yeah. way. And then there's a lot, you just have to create a lot of series of con a series of coincidences for
0: everyone in the first movie to meet up again. Right. It's like by, by by the time that you you know are seeing William Atherton again, the character of Thornburg, <laughs> who just happens yes. to be on the airplane, you're like, man, they really wedged that fucking piece into the puzzle, didn't they? But you don't mind, yeah, like you yeah. don't care, like right. It it pay it pays off because
1: we get a sense that we're continuing, you know, that that uh, him and and Holly still have um, unfinished business, right? Yeah. So we're, um, uh, you know, we're 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 replaying that to some extent, but it's also, you know, it's a, it's it's kind of bringing that character dynamic back, mm-hmm. um, and of course, you know, and Reginald Bell Johnson appears
0: with his Twinkies uh,
1: via phone,
0: yeah, via phone. Had to get him in there somehow. Uh,
1: Which I think that possibly is, it possibly is pushing it too far. He gets crazily high. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's like fourth build or something like that. (laughs) Um, But he's mostly there to be there in the preview so that he can say things in the preview like, wow, when you have hunches, what is it? You know, uh, insurance insurance companies companies go out of business uh, or something like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, he has a joke about it, the insurance companies are gonna, um, are gonna be running scared. Yeah, he's like there. That. Um, it is a bit. It's a bit of a bait and switch, though. Uh, because it does sort of set up the idea that he's gonna be on the phone the whole time, and he <laughs> no, really isn't.
0: Yeah. He'll exist for those few minutes, and then you will never see him again.
1: I mean, this is the thing. Like, in order to get the star of the original back. Filmmakers will go to these extraordinary lengths just to have them in like half a scene.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, you know, with Charlton Heston beneath the Planet of the Apes. Um, you know, we, we they they will if they can get them back. It doesn't matter how much they're willing to to be actually be in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think you know that that that's where that's where the the the, the credibility of the movie kind of strains a little bit because why why the hell wouldn't he be calling his the cops in his precinct? Why would he be calling his old buddy?
0: Well, I just assumed he was in that precinct that's that's a that's also a big stretch. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna assign him to that precinct <laughs> That's true. If you think he's gonna be working in little Japan right If you think about I, <laughs> just the character of Paul Gleason from the first movie, like how does he allow him on the forest in the first place?
1: Yeah. It's So, uh, you know, the, the, I guess these questions are best left uh, Un, yeah. unsolved. But I, I like when they, you know, he, he does say at one point, you know, how can the same shit happen to the same guy twice? Which, you know, is like, it's, it's Looney Tunes level looking in the camera.
0: Correct, yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> and they need to do that in those moments. Uh, I just think Reginald Bell Johnson is a little bit of a, it's, it's very misleading. It's too much of a tease because...
0: You wanted more?
1: Well, he's he's in a lot of double acts with very similar kinds of characters in these movies, but it's not him. <laughs> it's not Al.
0: Right. <laughs> well, let's talk about... Let's get into... You know, we'll start getting into the meat of the movie. Here are a few of my top notes. First of all, I love... Because like just the year before this, Lethal Weapon 2 comes out. And it's like, (laughs) slam lethal weapon, have the two fall down, and the next thing you have is like this magnificent car chase, you know? No titles. Yeah, I love that this movie goes for that same thing, but goes, die hard, you know, like slam die hard, slam two, (laughs) and the next thing you see is a car getting towed.
1: I have that exact same note. We are straight in. There is not a second (laughs) wasted. The frenetic, relentless tone of this movie is set from the very first second. It's hysterical, man.
0: I fucking love it.
1: It, Yeah, it's great. I I think it's, you know, um,. They and then they do a really nice job of they, they give us some you know they tell us the story of the first movie and also what's happened in between right in the space of about a minute and it's it's all kind of it's all in dialogue form it's John complaining to to that cu- the cop who's towing his car right
0: yeah
1: <laughs> and he just sort of tells him the story of die look hard,
0: I I'm to this I, point. I, I used to be a New York cop but now I work in L A <laughs> come on professional courtesy.
1: And then, then, and then they kind of get too confident with that idea is so we're going to slip exposition in where you don't expect it in having the plot of the movie summed up in a news report on a TV yeah. with a naked man doing Tai Chi in front I, of him.
0: I was just going to say, because this is my second note for the movie, this movie boldly declares what it's going to be when the villain is just doing naked Tai Chi But it, for a solid I, I, cause I, at the 60 I thought, to 90 seconds at
1: the, the time I was like oh that's great because you know we're getting all this exposition but we don't feel like we're out because we're watching him <laughs> and then later on in the film when the dictator was on the plane I was like what is the plot of this movie <laughs> I wasn't paying attention to anything because I was watching the naked guy doing
0: tight I shit. was watching the tight buns of William Sadler <laughs> it's true so I like I halfway I had to rewind the <laughs>
1: to go back and look at that news report again because <laughs> so i was like wait who's doing what who's rescuing who what's he doing i lost consciousness so, you know sometimes clunky exposition is a good right one.
0: like like can we talk just for a quick minute uh before we take a break about william sadler and his performance in this movie like if you watch william sadler in this movie and watch him in shawshank he's the greatest hmm. fucking actor living today isn't he
1: yeah, and I I love how I love how low key is in the beginning. I mean, I think I think it's hilarious. Speaking of inversions, I think it's hilarious that like the the first movie was predicated around uh, Alan the charming Rickman villain, and, yeah. Uh, Hans Gruber and uh, John McClane not meeting for the majority of the movie, and these and two, <laughs> two bump John into McClane each other. John McClane straight up bumps into him.
0: And I have a note, one one of my notes is, why the fuck is the colonel in the airport right now? He yeah. doesn't even need to be yeah. there. He he needs to go to that outpost on the outskirts. That's his job. He literally was just there to bump into John McClane. I think, yeah, I think that's the
1: purpose of it, but it's also to say, you know, uh, to say that this is going to be a different kind of movie, at least with regards to the, to the uh, um, hero antagonist dynamic. They're not going to be strangers to each other. In fact, they're both aware. <laughs> they're both aware of each other's backstories. Yeah. Uh, Because that's the other great thing about this movie is now John McCain, John McCain, (laughs) John McClain, that's not the last time that's going to happen. Different hero. John McClane is now a celebrity. Yeah he he lives in he's he is now a known person who gets mixed up in hostage crisis
0: right yeah he's uh what what what, what is it that uh, colonel stewart william sadler says he was a little out of his depth on nightline or 2020 or something like that
1: yeah it's 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 so beautiful it's such a great way to cuz unlike uh, at least one more of the films in these series this doesn't need to be john mcclane who's getting no, mixed up yeah. in this stuff yeah but it helps that what so what helps is this idea that now he is not this wild card unknown quantity. He's the known he is entity, this celebrity yeah. uh, person who you know helps hostages and blows people up. <laughs> and it's just it's just a great it's just a great tag to have that you know everyone is is already is just it's like oh yeah John McClain comes in. Blow stuff up,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I love that he's the only one literally thinking or helping. Yet all day long, Carmine is like, "Get the fuck out of here!" Like he just wants him out of that tower. I mean, it, you know, it, it, and that tower but... is alarmingly easy to get into, by the way.
1: Yeah, well, but I think that I think there's a point later on in the movie where they cover it you, exactly. You, you assume that everyone's everyone's gonna start. Believing everything that John McClane says because everything he said has turned out to be, to be true. Right. Yeah, and Carmine is still pushing yeah. back <laughs> to the point where he's like, "I'm just going to arrest you. You're too right about things. You're making it's starting me to bad. piss
0: me off. Oh man. All right. Well, we are just getting started with Die Hard 2. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Let you listen to some fantastic ads, and in a second we'll be right back. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. Look, people, we're living in strange times. We know that, don't we? Of course we do. People don't even know what to do with themselves. We're getting stir-crazy. Well, get outside and get yourself some great food, I say. You need to go to Slater's 50-50 and Point Loma's Liberty Station. It's time to treat yourself to booze, to beer, to burgers, and more. They have their full menu, people. Their full menu, I say. How many restaurants do you know that are doing that? Most places are doing a quarter of their menu, probably. Some might be doing a half. Maybe a few have got three quarters of a menu. But Slater's 50-50 has their full menu, including their signature 50-50 patty. It's half-ground beef. It's half-ground bacon. It's 100% delicious. What more could you possibly ask? Worried about social distancing? Well, it is in place, people. Tables are separated, and the staff will always be seen wearing masks. You're out of excuses. Get off your keister and come on down to Liberty Station's own Slater's Fifty Fifty. Indoor dining available. Outdoor dining available. Bring the family. Bring your dog. Come enjoy the normal again. Good day to you. I said good day. And we're back. We're here talking about Die Hard 2, the 1990 sequel to Die Hard. We were just kind of catching up on the beginning of the movie, Tom. So let's talk about Mm -hmm. the crux of the story. We've talked about, you know, (laughs) the exposition you had to go back and rewatch about this. This, uh, you know, that's the thing. So for me, this is sort of the weakest ideas for what the bad guys want. You know, Die Hard is like the all-time best, you know. We're terrorists, but really I'm just this sneaky, fantastic thief. And of the sequels...
1: I, I, you know, especially having, looking back at this movie, having seen um, the third and fourth films in the series, and the fifth film in the series, actually, I was actually kind of grateful that that these guys were what they purported to be. Uh Uh-huh. Because there is a, especially a Die Hard with a Vengeance, there's so much double and triple crossing and so many bl- double bluffs and triple bluffs that there's I trucanery. kind of like the fact that at a certain point I was like, oh, you know, they're, they're, um, you know, they're, they're fascists. <laughs> I mean, that's what I got for it. They, they, they. Yeah.
0: But that's the other thing is it's not ever really explained like why any, but any of the American soldiers. Right have made this choice, you know. It's 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 you know, that that's uh, a a storyline you don't get. It's it's
1: interesting it's the on, the only one in which it's it's totally politically minded. There's no Right. There's no financial gain, right? Anywhere in in that plan. I don't think so. I mean, yeah, ultimately, yeah. I guess you and is you install a that kind of government that'll be favorable to America or elsewhere, I guess, but um so i like the contrast of that again it's like complete inversion and it's in the later movies i think they start muddying that up a little bit it's like is he a thief is he a terrorist does it matter um and in this one i like i like the clarity of it but you're right you're right there's no uh there's no um and this is where you know the limits of Someone like Rennie Harlan is very clear. You don't get a sense of why they're doing what they're
0: yeah, doing. Yeah, but I kind of, you know, like Rennie Harlan gets some shit, I guess, on some levels. But I, you know, I love Rennie Harlan, Cutthroat Island aside. <laughs> I love Rennie Harlan. Yeah. Um, Me too. And also, what I like about Rennie Harlan is like in this movie, he doesn't give a shit mm. about the why. Yeah. And it kind of makes me think we don't need to give a shit. You're you know? Right. Like, yeah. I think,
1: you know, the, the the and this is consistent throughout the movies. It's like the, the more white you are, the worse villain you are. And the more European you are, uh, the more it kind of heightens your villainy. And if you just stick to those rules, which, you know, in today's climate, not bad rules. Uh, not right. bad <laughs> rules of thumb.
0: <laughs> right.
1: You know, I'm grateful they never went down the Islamic terrorist road that so many mo- so many action movies did uh, right. later on down the line. Um, and so I I think you know it's a, at some level it's just a basic commentary on. Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of I suppose it's it's unnervingly anti-American. Uh, yeah, especially for a movie coming out of the 1980s. You know, it's it's sort of saying...
0: Well, the start of a new decade, 1990. Yeah, and
1: even compared to the first movie where the enemy was Japan and Germany, you know, classic World War Two foes, um, here it's, you know, it's a homegrown terror. Yeah. That's the problem. Uh, with no sense that they're... Well, I guess they're supporting a foreign power, but the people in charge of it are the American military. Mm-hmm. So... I I kind of... I I like that and it. It made the movie... It made the movie storyline really stand out to me. Because it was the only one in which they were actually political. And, of course, it flips the idea around from the first movie that you think they're terrorists, but they're actually thieves. In this one... Right. They are just terrorists.
0: Well, yeah. But in this one, they are considered to be thieves stealing luggage by Carmine, by Dennis Franz. (laughs) Yeah. So you have a role reversal... (laughs) Where they think that they're thieves, but it turns out they're terrorists. That's all his tiny mind can contemplate. Yeah. I'm just going
1: to... I'm just going to... Can we start talking about Dennis Francis Carmine Lorenzo, please? Ugh. I, can't, I just... I, I've been Go holding ahead, back please. consciously. Yeah, you start. I cannot tell you the joy that this character brings me in this performance.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Because I fucking love this character so much. He's so ridiculous.
1: In his... I mean... We're, we're what, like two, three years away from his debut as Sipowicz? Yeah. So he's basically, he, he, his, he treats his opening scene as his screen test for Sipowitz. For
0: Sipowitz, he, yeah.
1: He is bounding around that office with a coffee cup glued to his fingers. <laughs> I have never seen such acting, such coffee cup acting in my life.
0: I actually wrote the same note. I was like, this guy is really drinking that fucking mug of coffee, like a champion, you know?
1: And and somehow in the process of of this kind of, you know, this performance and this character, he has the most interesting character arc in the whole movie. In
0: the whole movie, yes, completely.
1: <laughs> He's the only character who really changes.
0: Who changes? At the end, he's ripping up the ticket. It's Christmas. I mean, you, you, know. You, you
1: know, and you know what? Like, I it's always it's always strange to me that this movie, that Die Hard Two, is never brought up in the Die Hard Christmas movie debate,
0: uh-huh.
1: because if you add in this movie, this is way more of a Christmas movie than Die Hard.
0: Well, I am of the opinion, for as far as the first movie is concerned, there are people who think that it is not a Christmas poop movie, and there are people. Or there are people who think it is a Christmas movie, and then there's people who are wrong.
1: Yeah, I agree. Because that's but, a Christmas movie. But this movie. one just... But this really doubles down but on But it does double down on I mean, it. Yeah, absolutely. It's set at Christmas again. He's in a... John McClane's in a Christmas sweater for a good chunk of the movie, and... Carmine is the Scrooge of the story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He starts out as this curmudgeonly bur- bureaucrat and by the end of the movie he's ripping up uh tick parking tickets. And you know, he suddenly discovered discovered the way Scrooge like. It's it's beautiful.
0: It's it it, it, it could almost bring a tear to your eye how how much he grew in this movie. He's fantastic.
1: And all he had to do was uh think he was going to die by being machine gunned. down. Yeah.
0: I love in that scene, by the way, that there's like forty-three cops who pull their gun but don't shoot McLean. He is actively firing a machine gun at Carmine, Lorenzo, right. and
1: And that that's a great example of something that you see in a lot of movies around this time, which is what I like to call stupid people ADR. so so john john mcclain john John mcclain fires um fires a machine gun which is full of blanks uh carmine morenzo visibly does not die or is not wounded correct and then you know out of nowhere we hear a a dub dubbed voice of john mcclain saying blanks (laughs) It's the like, death. yeah, yeah, blanks. Yeah, this is not what dead. they were, were firing out of, of there. Blanks. Blanks. I can put that together.
0: So, let me ask you a couple of things about this movie, like as a whole. Um, mm. One of the notes I had was I love how filthy and violent this movie is. Oh, yes. And I love, like, this movie is dripping with goo. It's so melodramatic. <laughs> and yet. It works. Oh yeah! This movie knows what it wants to be, and I love it. I love how melodramatic this movie is. It's the only movie in the series that does this, and I just, I just, I just love it. I love every second of how melodramatic this movie is. What say you, sir?
1: I, I, don't, I, I absolutely agree. I think it, it just really turns up. It, it turns up the theatricality to eleven. And it's just, it's just so, it's...
0: Yeah, it's going full Nigel. It, it really is.
1: It's, it's so, um, it's so beautifully done. And I guess one, one of the great things about it, in terms of where the series would go from here, is that you basically, well, uh, you open up this bottleneck premise of Die Hard, and you start to get more mobile. Right. Um, you know, we, we have... And you know if you're watching these, if you're watching these movies, you know Die Hard is all in one building essentially.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, you know, and it just and, keeps growing. Yeah, there's something so liberating about you know the snow bike chase, or uh-huh. you know we, we're we're starting to sort of and you know uh, fighting on the wing of a plane.
0: Right, <laughs> right.
1: And you know this is this is the thin end of the wedge when it comes to where the series is going to go with. Fight, you know, like fight sequences um, on uh, uh, aerial vehicles.
0: Well, I think that's one of the interesting things about this movie is that it does open up. Yeah. You know, where, where it, you know, he's got room to move around. He's not stuck just in one place. And yet, you kind of have this, not the same, but like you have claustrophobic kind of moments. He does feel stuck. Yeah, at least in this one location, you know what I mean. Like, the, there it's a good, it's a it's a good hybrid between yeah. the two, I think. Which that's I, what I, th- know, an, I really an like. airport's a really
1: nice go-between because you you can't go anywhere, but you can go more. You, you know, you can you can spread out a little bit, um, and I think that's really nicely done. And then you've got all everything that's going on in the plane in the air where people are actually stuck. Right. So. Um, yeah, you definitely get this. This movie is all about it's about the best of both worlds in terms of you know, uh, new you know a completely new film that stands alone in its own right, and then a continuation of the of the the kind of die hard formula. Yeah,
0: and that's one of the things I really love about this movie is that this movie does, you know, yes, like this movie is bringing the band back. This movie is trying to bring everything back that you loved about Die Hard characters. Um, it's constantly referencing, like you said earlier, about how could the same shit happen to the same guy twice? Yeah, you know, it, it's like this movie was made with the idea that there will never be another Die Hard sequel. It's just this one. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But, no.
1: Absolutely. There's no sense of it.
0: Kind but of. um, it still manages to work. On its own merits as well, which to me is kind of remarkable that it could be trying to remake the first one and hit so many marks that that one does, but still stand on its own. It's like that's a that's a high wire act, man. Yeah, and it is.
1: And, and that's why you need you every every new character has to be completely on point, And they are right. You know, Fred Dalton Thompson in the in the air traffic control tower Barnes, the the tech guy. Uh, Marvin the janitor you know there's so there's too many of these guys but you know
0: one after another even even comic relief grandma
1: at one point I remember writing down it's like it's like we have seen four different levels of police hierarchy in this movie (laughs) and we're only an hour in Right. We've gone from the cops on the ground, the beat cups on the ground to the, the fucking Marines coming. In.
0: Yeah. So let's talk because you mentioned, uh, you know, Fred Thompson's character, Trudeau. Mm-hmm. There's this one moment that I like where I, I think it's after William Sadler, as Colonel Stewart, has crashed that airplane as an object lesson for why not to mess with right. them. And. He's sitting there saying like, you know, no more casualties will happen if you just follow directions like blah, 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 blah. Uh, I think you see now how not to mess with us. And all of a sudden the camera just starts zooming in on Trudeau's face. Yeah. And this kind of bureaucrat who just works at an airport has this line. Try me face to face. We'll see. Yeah. And you think about William Sadler naked at the beginning, just cut. (laughs) <laughs> and menacing, and I, <laughs> I, like, I would love to see that fight. I would love to see William Sadler kill him in under five seconds.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, that's yeah, that's the thing. It's 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 even a little uh, suspect that John McClane does so well against him. Yeah, that's what true. what we know, he's capable of. But yeah, I, and that, the, but that goes back. That's the kind of diehard idea, isn't it? Doesn't matter how specialized your training is you know a, the a blunt instrument a kind of happy go lucky every man is 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 the you know is the real kind of heroism here right and that was that was something that was so interesting to me especially compared to the the later movies and just Bruce Willis in general that he is still Bruce Willis from moonlighting here yeah he is the romantic lead. He has this kind of Ted Danson quality that just completely disappears in the in later in later movies in his career. Correct. Yeah. He's kind of a romantic comedy lead, a bit like a sitcom dad. He's got all well, these. Well, he really liners. is playing
0: in the first three movies. He's really playing the everyman. Yeah. You know, to a T. And then all of a sudden, he really like. You shave that head, man. All of a sudden, he looks like a bad and he becomes... Like, he should be wearing a cape.
1: It's this sort of gradual unraveling that we don't sort of see until the next movie of, of you know, from hero to anti-hero. But at this point, right? you know, he is still he is still like the sitcom lead. And, yeah, there's just a, a real sense of, like, I'm this... I'm this sitcom dad who's dropped into a big budget action flick. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm gonna I'm try to survive. Yeah, you I'm know, a fish, it has that I'm a fish sense. out of water, and it's uh, it's interesting. It's it's. I'm glad that we got to see that one more time because mm-hmm. I think he's even more of like a family guy in this. There's a, I mean, there's, there's a great quote that that, that Paul Shears always talking about where. Bruce Willis thinks his appeal is that he is this guy from Jersey in all these crazy situations, and you know Paul Shear's point is like, that's not what we like about you. <laughs> and I, but I, I sort of thought well, with this movie, I'm like that—that that is what I like about him at this point. Right. I like the fact that he doesn't seem like he belongs in like this this high stakes situation, uh, and that changes. But yes, dramatically, point, yeah, dramatically. But at this point, I, I'm still getting the feeling of like, you know, he's a, he's just a family guy thrown into a
0: well, and this is why it's so hard for me to rank him because these are all the things that I really like about this movie, you know? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough. It... I, oh, man. Like, it makes me want to change right now. Just talking about Die Hard 2, I want to change my rankings. I love this movie so much. It's so great. But
1: that would be unfair to the other ladies.
0: Yeah, I I agree, I agree. We're going to take a a quick break. We're going to take one more break. And then when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be finishing up with Die Hard 2. Stay tuned. Go ahead and check out 2 T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back. We're here finishing up talking about Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Uh, you know, Tom, I was going to get to the end of the movie, but before we do, you know, we've given some love. Uh, to, you know, plenty of love to Dennis Franz and to uh Bruce Willis. You know, is there anybody else you want to give love to? William Sadler, we've given love to. I, I don't know, we've given enough love to John Amos and his fantastic work mm-hmm. in this movie. Love him.
1: Um I don't, I'm not sure the name of the actor, but uh, Bar- the guy who plays Barnes, I think is great.
0: Yes, he is great. I love that character.
1: Um And it's it's nice, you know, like, this is the... You know, we, we get it, we're in the kind of the peak of the black nerd era, you know, uh, mm-hmm. or the, the uncool black guy sidekick trope.
0: Yeah, but this guy is cool. He's fantastic. But exactly.
1: I was going to say, cause even though he's kind of tech minded and he's on the intellectual side, he's extremely cool, extremely good in a, in a tight spot. And um, I think it's great. And it's a nice little prelude to, to Zeus and where that's going to go. Um, he's like, he's like a mixture of Zeus and, and Matt from, from uh, (laughs) From Die (laughs) Far 4.0. Um, so he's like, he's like a, the sort of, uh, the the foreshadow of sidekicks to come I, I i'm like i say everyone everyone in this movie nails their performances even though william atherton and bonnie bedalia don't have anything that's much, much different from what they've done before yeah bonnie I,
0: bedalia she feels a little underused and that's a little sad but
1: yeah i like the. i mean i'm glad i'm glad that they just dispensed with the... and yet
0: she's great you know she 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 gets the most out of What she's given, she's fantastic in it. Yeah,
1: I think it. You know, it's they they realize that there is a shelf life to having, you know, journalists be the extra dimension of the of the action film. Like we don't really see that again. Um, Yeah. But we, you know, we have journalism is given a pass. Well, we kind of
0: like we substitute that for, like, sort of like the you know we substitute it for the Rennie Harlan version of. The action movie where things happen like fights, you know, where they go to this outhouse, the the, the old church and Bruce Willis spots a sentry and then they have this magnificent fight. But he's like, this guy's throwing Bruce Willis into the side of buildings and over trash cans. And this does not bring out anybody else. Right. Nobody hears this, you know. And so uh, it's it's kind of those things that that are at the front and center of this kind of action movie.
1: Completely, yeah. And you know, it feels like a total the 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 landing light part just feels like a total afterthought. Of shit, I really should be doing something to save my wife.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> like <laughs> you don't. Unlike the first movie, you don't get the sense that 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 saving her is front and center of his uh, goals and objectives in this movie.
0: Correct, yeah. (laughs)
1: And it is a beautiful moment, but it does feel like, you know, the screenwriters are like, oh, shit! We should have him do something that will help Holly in some way.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's talk about the end of the movie, because for me, of the sequels, this is like, hands down, the best ending. It's the best death of the villains. Yes. It's the best you know, it's the the, the most well written. It's it's like everything comes together exactly as it should for the end of this movie. Saving, of course, <laughs> that this airplane is traveling down the longest runway in the history of the world, and at a, a a speed that doesn't seem to indicate it wants to take off. But other than that, the ending to this movie is so awesome.
1: I the yeah that was a. Um... I think it is awesome. I think in the latter parts of the movie I was getting kind of an airplane vibe. Uh-huh. from from just, you know, there was some kind of ropey, some uh, you know not not too good aerial model shots and and then, you know, the 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 lady sitting next to um, Holly yeah. on the plane, you Grandma know, Grandma comic relief the airplane movie. But Rick is the broadest of character that is in the like, whole movie. Um exactly but uh so i was getting that kind of vibe from it but in terms of you know action and the, the fight on the wing of the plane we finally get yeah, that right. the, the tai chi is brought back into the story
0: and even though you referenced Momentarily, the idea of like um <laughs> how long bruce willis's john McClane lasts against that guy you know i mean he is a cop he is a tough guy like he certainly would have some training yeah. but i like the idea that Yeah, he gets his shots in, but for the most part, he's getting his ass kicked and he should get his ass kicked. Right. Well, I mean,
1: that's it. You know, it's it's less about him. It's about him withstanding. Right. Beatings, really. That's John McClane's uh, talent. Uh, It's like, how bloody can he get and still be able to put up a fight? You know, and no one's expect. And again, that's why you know he's the he's the underdog character. He's the plucky underdog character at this point. You know, he he hasn't learned how to jump off the wing of a fighter jet onto a freeway yet.
0: Not yet, (laughs) but it's a coming. But it's a
1: coming at this. You know, and I guess there's there's a greater sense of peril with that. I mean, we we're pretty sure he's not going to die, but we know he's going to get pretty badly uh, mangled. Right. Because that's what we want to see. We, we needs to take that sweater off, get into a vest, get, you know, beaten within his an inch of his life. His white shirt has to
0: become, you know, olive green. Yeah. With set, we, sweat and grime. We need to get all that. But this, like, the, the ending is, like, so wrapped up perfectly in this with, like, falling off the plane you know, lights the, lights, the, the fuel on fire, plane blows up. That's what the planes can use to land. Like all of that is just fantastic. Yeah. One note I did find in, in my research though, was that, what was it? It was uh jet fuel has a lower flash point than gasoline. And so in fact, you could stick a lighter right in it and it wouldn't light on fire. Yeah. So <laughs> I would love the idea of him just like yippee-ki-yay motherfucker. And puts it down and nothing happens. And he's like, oh, oh, oh no. <laughs> and they just go off. And You see, that feels like something that might actually happen in
1: Die Hard with a Vengeance. Like, I can imagine that happening, <laughs> you know, like for, for, as a gag in that. But it's not something I think Rennie Harlan would ever no. consider.
0: Plus, I mean, putting that aside, reality aside, it's great. It's such a great, fantastic, yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker, light it the The shot of the fire coming up to the plane, right, right as it's taking yeah. off. Oh, it's just fantastic!
1: It is fantastic, and you know, it's um, it's. I believe Industrial Light and Magic do some fabulous map painting work yeah. here, and it's just like it's like looking into a a time capsule of you know certain kinds of effects that were only around at a certain. It does time. look strange what- at
0: the end, though, when they have like clearly what's. Paintings or models surrounded by people walking around, as the yeah and, roll. Uh, you, you know, know. I,
1: <laughs> even though those have kind of dated, they've dated in a really beautiful, golden way. Where I kind of look at them as, as I look at Ray Harryhausen films, where I'm like, yeah, obviously this doesn't look like it's representing the thing it's supposed to be, but it's beautiful, but it's wonderful. Yeah. All right, we're it's gonna... a really good painting of
0: some planes. <laughs> All right, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. That is Die Hard 2. Please, if you have something to say, if you think we've missed something, if you want to check in with us, you find us on uh, Facebook, find us on the Insta, find us on Twitter. We are the Everything Sequel Podcast. Tune into us, and uh, you might just have your fantastic comment read on air here. Tom, anything before we leave?
1: We'll be back with a
0: vengeance. Yeah, we will. That's it for now. Be good, everybody. Until next time.